You are listening to Gone But Never Forgotten. Our topics can include, but are not limited to, murder, sexual assault, graphic and gruesome details, and more. These topics are adult in nature and are not meant for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. We have all heard the saying at one time or another, money does not buy happiness. And regardless of who you are and how much money that you have, you likely have a knee-jerk reaction to that statement in one way or another. For one such heir to a family fortune, however, it would seem that all of the money that he had and had coming to him only caused him to believe that he was untouchable, and perhaps led him to believe that he could do anything and get away with it. After all, if money can't buy happiness, it sure can help one cover up a string of murders. This particular playboy is back in the news with his co-killer again now in Canada, as they glom up the legal system and try to appeal to their previous murder charges, as they currently are in prison for three and two murders respectively. Hello, my name is Lance, and welcome to episode 72 of Gone But Never Forgotten, Serial Killers Facing Less Time, the stories of Dellen Millard and Mark Smitch. and welcome back to another episode of GBNF. I would be remiss if I didn't cover this case as it is again in the news here in Canada, and boy, what a story it is. We'll get into the new developments that we are seeing in real time as I write this episode at the end, but first, I'm going to tell you the story of two men who clearly feel that they're deserved some semblance of mercy and justice, Two things that they did not give to their victims. On May 6th of 2013, Tim Bosma would have two men asked to come and take a look at the pickup truck that he was selling on Kijiji. Tim and his family lived in Ancaster, Ontario, which is a small community within the greater city of Hamilton, Ontario. Ancaster is located about 80 kilometers to the southwest of Toronto. The two men that had made plans to meet up with him on Kijiji, which is a buyer-seller online marketplace, were not known to him. The plans were made over a phone call. The men said that they would come by at around 9 p.m., which Tim thought was rather late to be doing a test drive, but... Needing the truck sold, he agreed to the terms. Tim would even ask his wife Charlene if he should accompany the two men on the test drive when they came to the house. Charlene would tell Tim that he should because they wanted to get the truck back 
and that people could not be trusted. The two men would arrive late for their meeting, and when they did arrive, they showed up on foot and told Tim and Charlene that they had received a ride from a friend. The three men would leave together to test drive Tim's Dodge Ram pickup truck. Charlene would quickly become nervous when she realized that more time had elapsed than would be usual for a test drive of a vehicle, especially this late at night. After a few hours had passed, in a panic now, Charlene would call the Hamilton police to report Tim as missing. The Hamilton police services would treat the case as a missing person's case with unusual circumstances at the beginning. That meant that they would do a search of the grounds around Tim and Charlene's home, and they also used a canine unit and gathered some people for a search-and-rescue hunt of the area. Unfortunately, those efforts and those searches would come up empty. On May 7th, the HPS would release a statement to the public that officially declared that Tim was missing, and two days later, on May 9th, Charlene gave her own public press conference to plead for the two men that had left with him and the truck to return him home to his family. Around this time as well, police came to realize that the phone that had been used to contact Tim about the truck through Kijiji was a burner phone. A burner phone is a cheap cell phone that is purchased and designed for temporary and anonymous use. Generally, the phone is used for whatever certain purpose that it's needed for, and it can then be discarded quickly. Usually, a burner phone is a phone that can be loaded with minutes by using a phone card. In this case, of course, a burner phone was used so that nobody could track down who owned the phone or any information about the people that had made contact with Tim. One thing that the police were able to do, though, was access the call records from the burner phone. They found out that the phone had previously been used to set up test drives on two other vehicles as well, aside from Tim's. For the first appointment, the two had not shown up for the test drive, but for the second one, they had. They went to Toronto and did a test drive on May 5th the day before they met up with Tim in Ancaster. This would wind up being a key in the case, as the man that owned the truck that they had driven that day remembered a lot about the men. The man gave a description to police of the two men, and his description matched the one that was given by Charlene Bosma. He also gave some further details. He said that one of the men carried a small satchel bag and he also had a tattoo on his wrist that said the word ambition, and it was tattooed inside of a box. Investigators believed that this was a pertinent detail, and that it was unique enough to go to the public with. The public would come through, and someone called in and told police about a man named Dellen Millard, who was known to often carry a satchel bag with him, and also had a tattoo that matched the description that was given to police. Dellen Millard would be arrested on May 11th, and then on May 12th, the truck was located. The truck was inside of a trailer that was registered to Millard Air, and the, the trailer was in the driveway of Madeline Millard, 
Dellen's mother in Kleinberg, Ontario, a small town that is about 45 kilometers northwest of Toronto and also about 80 kilometers northeast of Ancaster. Two days after the truck was located, on May 14th, the police would announce publicly that Tim Bosma was dead. On May 15th, Millard was formally charged with first-degree murder as the investigators believed that Tim Bosma was targeted and therefore the murder was premeditated. On May 16th, Hamilton police would locate burned remains that were believed to belong to Tim Bosma inside of an incinerator that was located at Dellen Millard's farm in Ayr, Ontario about 60 kilometers west of Ancaster and not far from where the police had also located Tim Bosma's cell phone. To say that Millard was in deep trouble was an understatement, and the murder of Tim Bosma was just the tip of the iceberg. There were reports that Millard was being investigated as a serial killer, Reports were being leaked that investigators were looking at the suspected suicide of Dellen's father, Wayne, and also they were looking at a connection between Dellen and Laura Babcock, a woman from Toronto who had gone missing in 2012. On May 22nd, after a week of surveillance to ensure that they had their eyes on the right man, police would announce that they had arrested the second person believed to have been involved in the Tim Bosma case, 25-year-old Mark Smitch. He would also face a charge of first-degree murder. Smitch and Millard would both be scheduled to appear in court again on June 13th of 2013, but their case would be put over until August. The case would drag on a bit, as investigations went on into the Bosma case, as well as the cases of Wayne Millard and Laura Babcock. On April 10th of 2014, Dellen Millard would be charged with the murder of his father, Wayne Millard, and also be charged with the murder of Laura Babcock. Smitch would also be charged relating to the murder of Laura Babcock. Wayne Millard was found dead on November 29th of 2012 from a gunshot wound to his left eye. As mentioned, his death was initially ruled to be a suicide, but it was later discovered that Dellen and Wayne had in fact had many arguments regarding the family business, and investigators believed that there was a good chance that Wayne had in fact been murdered by his son. Laura Babcock went missing in 2012, and the case around her murder would truly be complex and circumstantial, as the prosecution would even frame it in court. However, as we will discuss later in the episode, they also believed that both Millard and Smitch had, been, had admitted to killing Laura in their own way and in their own words. Laura and Dellen had briefly dated and it was believed that Dellen's motive for murder was that he wanted to get her out of the picture completely because there were problems between Laura and his girlfriend at the time, Christina Nudka. Well, let's take a moment and take a look at the two men at the center of the story. Dellen Millard was born on August 30th of 1985 to Wayne Millard and Madeline Burns. 
Wayne was a pilot who was working for Air Canada and also for Millard Air. Air Canada is the largest airline in Canada, and Millard Air is a Canadian airline that operated from 1963 until 1990, and then continued to exist from the 1990s up until 2012 as an aircraft maintenance and servicing firm called Millard Air Incorporated. Millard, Millard Air was founded in 1963 by Carl Millard. The company's main purpose in the beginning was to fly automotive parts and various other cargo across the country. In the 1970s, the company started to also fly passengers out of Toronto Pearson Airport. When Carl Millard passed away in 2006, the company was passed on to his son and Dellen's father, Wayne, who took over as president of Millard Air. Dellen's mother, Madeline Burns, was a stewardess for Air Canada. As you can expect based on those explanations, Dellen was born into money based on the family fortune and the positions that his parents held as well, and it seemed that he was fit to have a good life and all of the things that money could buy. At the age of 14, Dellen would actually become well-known as the youngest Canadian to ever take a solo flight in one day in a helicopter and in an airplane. He seemed to have everything going for him. Dellen, though, did have a dark side. He loved to live life on the edge and was known to do many things and many stupid things just for the thrill of doing them. He would eventually drop out of college, he would commit petty thefts and other petty crimes, and he quickly devolved into a life that was driven by drugs and alcohol. He started turning from a young boy with a lot of promise into a playboy that could essentially do and buy anything that he wanted. That is where Mark Smitch would come in. Mark Smitch was born on August 13th of 1987, and he was not from the upper class like Dellen was. His family was very much a middle-class family. He would become very known to police for an extensive criminal record, including petty offenses like drug possession, impaired driving, mischief, failure to appear, and breaches of his conditions. Smitch sold drugs and cigarettes and would occasionally work with Millard Air at their hangar. Mark was a high school dropout and a wannabe gangster as well as a wannabe rapper. He followed along with Dellen pretty much everywhere that he went and doing pretty much everything that he was told to do. He was more like an errand boy or a pet to Dellen than anything else. The two were introduced around 2006, and everyone that knew the two said that their friendship was one-sided. People would say that Smitch worshipped the ground that Millard walked on, but that Millard did not hold any personal regard whatsoever for Smitch. Over time, the two would grow a little bit closer, though, likely as Millard realized that he could manipulate Smitch and Smitch would actually rent out the basement of the Millard home. So, that is how these two became interconnected. That's enough about their personal lives, though. 
In July of 2014, the Attorney General's office agreed to skip a preliminary trial for both men in the Tim Bosma case, which is actually a rare occurrence here in Canada. The workings of said trial would get started finally in January of 2016, when a jury was selected and made up of seven men and seven women with two alternates. The trial would eventually get started on February 1st of 2016, and at the outset, it was expected to be at least a four-month trial. In April, an ex-girlfriend of Mark Smitch would take the stand and become a star witness for the Crown. She would testify that Millard was the man that had pulled the trigger to kill Tim Bosma, and said that she had been picked up by both men the morning after the murder, and they had told her a lot of the details. The reality was that three different series of events were described in the case for the murder of Tim Bosma. Mark Smitch, Dellen Millard, and The Crown all presented different theories of what actually happened on the night of Tim's murder. Smitch would say that he was actually not even in the same vehicle as Tim and Millard, and that he instead had followed in another vehicle. Millard's lawyer would present that in fact all three were in the same vehicle, and that Millard was driving with Tim in the front seat. According to Millard's lawyer, it was Smitch who pulled a gun and told Tim that they were going to steal his truck, and then Tim was shot, but he said it was by accident, and by Smitch. The Crown would present that all three men were in the vehicle, and both Millard and Smitch took part in the murder of Tim Bosma. Their contention was that even though they could not prove who had pulled the trigger definitively, as long as they could prove that both men took part in the murder, they could be found guilty of murder in the first degree. Finally, and mercifully, more than three years after the murder, on June 17th of 2016, both men were convicted of first-degree murder in Tim's murder, and they were both sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole for 25 years. In December of 2017, both men would again be convicted of murder in the first degree, in the murder of Laura Babcock. Laura's remains have never been found, but the case included over 80 exhibits and more than 40 witnesses at trial. The key to the case was that both men seemed to have admitted to killing Laura using their own words. The Crown contended that just months after the disappearance of Laura, and months after they believed that both men had killed and burned her body, Mark would write and perform a rap. Listener discretion is advised, but here are the lyrics of that rap. The bitch started off all skin and bone. Now the bitch lay on some ashy stone. Last time I saw her, she was outside the home. If you go swimming, you can find her phone. Find her phone, find her phone, you can find her phone. If you go swimming... You can find her phone. Bitch lay on ashy stone. The Crown would present that those lyrics were read off of his iPad, and after he rapped them, he would tell his girlfriend to leave the garage, 
at which time he told the rest of the people there that the rap was a true story. In the case of Millard, there were 65 handwritten letters that he had sent to his girlfriend, Christina Nugda. He told her to destroy all of the letters, but she had not done so, and they were found by investigators. Millard would talk extensively about the night that Laura disappeared, and in one letter, dated April of 2012, he would write, quote, First, I'm going to hurt her. Then, I'll make her leave. I will remove her from our lives. Unquote. While no bodies were ever found, it was believed that the evidence was there to show that Millard had done something to her. In the final days before her disappearance, Laura would text with Millard and talk to him on the phone 110 different times. Her final call was connected to a cell phone tower that was near Millard's home in Etobicoke, Ontario. While many calls and texts would come in after Laura went missing, Millard did not text or call even one time after all of that contact leading up to her disappearance. Both men would receive another life sentence with 25 years without the possibility of parole, and these sentences were to be served consecutively, meaning that both men would now face a minimum of 50 years in prison without any possibility of parole. That would mean that neither man would be released prior to 2063. That leads us to the final trial of Dellen Millard, that being in the case of murder against his father Wayne. This trial was done by judge only instead of being a trial with a jury of his peers. Millard did not testify, and the entire defense was based around the fact that this was a suicide, and there was no proof or connection or motive that was given by the Crown in the case. They believed that Dellen was being charged with murder here based on circumstantial evidence and the fact that Dellen had already been found guilty of murder twice. Evidence presented by the Crown shows that Dellen had bought the gun that was used in the death of Wayne and that cell records showed that his phone had been at Wayne's home at 1 a.m. on the night that he died and Dellen had stayed there until roughly 6 a.m. On September 24th of 2018, Dellen Millard was found guilty of murder in the first degree for the murder of his father, Wayne Millard. Maureen Forstel would say, quote, I am satisfied that Dellen Millard killed his father by shooting him in the left eye as he slept. I can find no theory consistent with innocence. Unquote. On December 18th of 2018, Dellen Millard would be sentenced for the third time to life in prison, once again with no eligibility for parole for 25 years, and once again, the sentence was to be served consecutively, meaning that Dellen Millard would now face at least 75 years in prison before he could apply for parole. That would be the year 2088, and Dellen would be 103 years old. And, as such, things were pretty clear at this point in time. Dellen Millard was going to serve 75 years without parole in the murders of Wayne Millard, Laura Babcock, and Tim Bosma, 
and Mark Smitch would serve 50 years without parole in the murders of Laura Babcock and Tim Bosma. This is the point in time for criminals of this nature where you wish that they would go to prison and never be heard from again. However, that was not the case. In 2021, Millard would hit the news again, this time for getting into a fight at Millhaven Institution where he is serving his life sentences. He restrained a man while another inmate stabbed him. Millard and the other inmate would be charged with assault causing bodily harm and possession of a weapon. He would be convicted of assault, but the weapons charge was dropped in March of 2023. What comes next is what many consider to be a massive pain in the ass in our country. First, I should explain that in Canada it is very rare for anyone to receive consecutive life sentences without parole eligibility. In 2011, a criminal code provision was made that allowed for judges to impose consecutive sentences, and it was, of course, after that, that Millard and Smitch were found guilty and sentenced. Well, all of that changed in 2022. On May 27th of 2022, all nine justices on Canada's top court, the Supreme Court of Canada, overturned that provision, which was Section 745.51 of the Criminal Code. This was done in the case of R. V. Bissonnette, the case of Alexandre Bissonnette, who had been served in six consecutive sentences of life without parole, amounting to 150 years without parole. In R.V. Bissonnette, the Supreme Court of Canada would find that stacking parole eligibility and sentences was a violation of Section 12 of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms and that it amounted to cruel, and unusual punishment. You heard me correct. The general belief was that stacking sentences would take away all hope from inmates and would cause prisons to be tougher places to control and much more difficult to work in because prison inmates with those sentences would not have anything to work towards or any reason to have good behavior. People that I've talked to about this seem to be of two mindsets. The first being that prisoners should not have rights at all. Once you're in prison for murder, you should forfeit that right, and those people believe that people who murder multiple people should not ever have that hope of seeing the light of day. On the contrary, there are people that do agree with that contention that it takes all hope away from inmates who may be able to rehabilitate themselves. Of course, this does not mean that these serial killers will definitely get out after 25 years in prison, but it does mean that they're eligible to start applying for parole after that amount of time. That means that Millard would get back 50 years of applying, of course, and Smitch would get back 25 years. Both will in fact be eligible for parole now in 2033, only 10 years from right now. How do you feel about this ruling? Let us know on social media how you feel about the fact that we're no longer stacking sentences 
and thus any inmates are essentially eligible for application and parole after 25 years, regardless of how many and how egregious their crimes are. Let's have that conversation. One thing that I will say to clear things up is that many people think that this is what Millard and Smitch are in the news for now and what they're appealing. But the reality is that they're already down to that 25 years for parole eligibility. There are appeals going on though. Millard and Smitch have both appealed their convictions for all murders. And Millard did appeal the conviction of killing his father as well. As of this writing, the appeals for Laura and Tim have not been ruled on. The Supreme Court, however, did dismiss already the appeal by Dellen for the murder of his father, Wayne. The three-judge panel ruled that the trial judge's reasons were compelling for the conviction of Millard in the 2012 murder. And that is where the case of these two presently sits. Their appeals are before the Supreme Court for the other two murders, and we will run either an update episode or, at the very least, update posts on social media when we hear about the rulings in those cases. So, certainly give us a follow on TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or, better yet, support us over on Patreon and become a patron on the show. All patrons get a shout-out on this podcast and plenty of perks, depending on the level that you sign up on. You can support the show for as little as the cost of a cup of coffee every month, and every penny will go back into the podcast. Better equipment, more merch, research, and all of the things that help me to ensure that I present the story in its fullest form each and every week. I want to take a moment to give a special shout out to the three longtime supporters of the show that have been with us from the very beginning Stacy, Michelle, and Pat. We love you guys, and you are the original goners. So, that's where we'll leave it this week. As I said, let's chat on social media. Tell me what you think about the abolishment of stacked sentences in Canada. Thank you for spending your time with me this week, as always, and please come back next week for a brand new episode of Gone But Never Forgotten. And don't forget to be better.